Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following was recorded from a Zoom session of Dharma Dialogues that was held on December 5th, 2021. It's called, Who and What Do You Love? Who and what do you love? It's a revelatory little exercise to just even ask yourself a few times in the day. Because you might discover the list just starts reeling out. Because there's a lot for most of us. There's a lot. And often it's just at hand as well. It's not abstract. It's just just right there, right, right there when you ask. It's a, a reflection that I'm visiting a lot these days as a counterbalance to a lot of things I don't like. <laughs> a lot of what I'm seeing in the world that's quite wearying. These times, these times are wearying. I had a dream the other night in which I was telling someone, my heart feels weary. And it does, it feels weary. And I have to, I have to manage that. I have to move the attention. I have to give it some oxygen and say, wait a minute, hang on. You know, these are one of my precious days. This is one of the good days. So it's always this balance. We spoke a lot about it last night, the coexisting awareness that doesn't deny the tragedy, the sorrow, the malevolence that we see, doesn't deny it. And yet, can we not have it be our obsession? Can we just set aside the obsessive aspect of it and really visit our sweet spot a lot, really sit in the center of that, count our blessings, consider all that you love, all that you've been so graced with throughout life, I point this out frequently, but, you know, we all won the lottery of a birth. We did. I don't say that in any bragging way. It's not that we had particular merit. It was luck of the draw, in my opinion. And we just were lucky. We got to have just a pretty good run, especially compared to the billions on Earth that we share the earth with at this moment, but also the billions that went before us. I was talking with one of my women friends the other day and she has from the outside a very glamorous life. I mean, really glamorous. She travels the world. She's always at the cool conferences and having great conversations and meeting. She's spectacularly gorgeous, kind of supermodel level. And she's very sweet and very bright. and. She's frustrated because she feels somehow she's supposed to be living some other life 
And we had a really good talk the other day in which I pointed out that she might consider dignifying the life she's living, which almost anyone would think is a fantastic life. And it helped her a lot. She actually wrote to me this morning saying that she's been practicing the views that I uh, offered the other day. Because what a shame to, you know, miss this life that you're living and think that you're supposed to be living some other life. Or that yours could be at least greatly enhanced. Like your life could be a whole lot better. You could keep certain things in place, but just enhance them all. It's a shame to go all the way the distance to the end with those kinds of thoughts. Another thing that I find helpful, it may not be that great an experiment uh, for any of you, but I'm going to share it. I sometimes find it helpful also to think about all the people who suddenly die like today, like even as I'm saying this, these words, lots of people suddenly died. And I've often reflected about, you know, what kind of maybe mundane things were they thinking about at the time, or, you know, suddenly you're in an accident and you're gone. Maybe they were rushing off for this or that, or mulling over some gnarly little nothing problem, you know, wishing for something else. Maybe they were just daydreaming, who knows? But I sometimes think about that death moment and how people's habitual mind state might have been what they experienced in those last seconds. And I find that very poignant. Then you think about someone who's had a long time habit of managing their attention, such as Gandhi when he was shot when he was assassinated, he had always used the mantra Ram, Ram, which in Hindu lore is, is God. It's, it's one of the purest forms of their, of their gods. And that had been his long habit. And apparently when he was shot, he said, Ram, Ram. Those are his last words. Those are his last moments of consciousness. These are offerings about what we're doing with the precious moments with our attention as we live here in these temporary forms that are not only subject to inevitable death, but even could be subject to sudden death. And believe me, I'm giving myself a little pep talk here as well. I, I notice I sure feel a lot better when I think about the beauty and all that has mattered to me and all of the generosity I've experienced, the kindnesses, those I love, the faces of the people that are wonderful in my life and in general, strangers who are on the world stage, those in history who've gone before, many of my friends who have died, all the creatures. I was lying on the couch yesterday, just yesterday, and it was a big storm coming and it was really windy prior to the storm. 
And the birds, I have a forest behind me as part of the property, and there's a massive, massive tree. It's 200 years old, and it's one of the biggest trees in the whole region. And it's it's home to hundreds of birds and other creatures as well, blue-tongued lizards, snakes, and all kinds of things live in there. But a lot of birds. And I was laying there, I was listening to the birds chirping, and they're so beautiful. They're so colorful, some of them. And, and I was just laying there, just loving these birds. I felt so lucky to be listening to them singing. Maybe you can hear them in the background now. Like, keep it simple in that way. These stories about some other life, some big potential, something you missed and you shoulda, coulda, woulda, if only you knew, maybe this is the life you actually stepped into bit by bit, tiny baby steps along the way. This choice, that turn of events, that twist of fate, that person you happen to meet, this place you happen to land and make your home. And yes, we can make changes, sure, that can be part of it. Good to have a real light relationship to all your planned changes, but yes, of course, I've made so many plans in my life. Some came to be. (laughs) All by way of saying, this is the moment, this is your life. Dignify it by loving it. Hi, Catherine and everybody. I just want to say that I love you. And of all the spiritual teachers who are living today, you're the person. And it's interesting that you're the person who I feel most grateful for and connected to and care about and identify with than anybody else. And it means so much to me to have you in this world and how Mm -hmm. much I care about you. And I think Mm -hmm. about you every day. And Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting how I found you because I found you for my husband. I know. (laughs) Because what happened was he was seeing someone who I couldn't stand. And I looked in the, the paper that Spirit Rock gave and you were giving a seminar weekend with somebody else. And I said, go see her. <laughs> and then, and that then, was many years ago, because well, I, only, I only did one of those weekends at Spirit Rock. That was Law. a long time ago. Lot, and, at least 20 some, 20 some years ago. And, yeah. you know, I saw you a bit after that, but not a lot. But now, to me, you're the most present, aware, and rounded person Mm. you know because spiritual teachers that I know are not like you so thank you (laughs) thank you for being so so awake and aware and strong and for being there well thank you for saying all of that I'm very honored and uh and and delighted to have the connection with you as well all this time yeah beautiful (laughs) Hello. I had no idea you were going to 
posed that question. Um, and I have been reading, I mean, thinking and reading so much lately about this concept of love and personal love. I just think it's so interesting that you said that. And what I, I feel like what I have resonated with is that but in a term of personal love, you said, who do you love or what do you love? Um, it's like the person, the people that you feel love pouring out of you freely in their presence. Yes. That, and it's a reflection. And that is what I'm learning is the personal love. And it can be, I know like Eckhart Tolle will say like, it can be the person sitting next to you in a diner. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's this, but it's like, it's no judgment and it's not, possession and I want you to do this for me it's just I'm feeling a reflection of my love in your presence yes and therefore I carry that with me all day and go about you know feeling that in my heart but then when I'm in with these people I feel it and so I just think that's really resonating with me yeah I've always loved the consideration of the phrase being in love Mm-hmm. because basically it's like the love is generated. It's like you're experiencing mm-hmm. the generating love uh, outpouring or inpouring, mm-hmm. right? So we say, oh, I'm in love with, mm-hmm. you know, this other person, but it's basically that you're just, it's mm-hmm. that the presence of that person is triggering your own profound feelings of love. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get much more adept at uh, interchanging <laughs> the, <laughs> the ones around you, some more easily than others. <laughs> but, <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> but you were you were the first one that came up on my list. <laughs> oh, this is my this is my beautiful niece. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 all so true that. There's a line, an old line from from a, I forgot who the singer was, Johnny Mathers or one of those, they predate you, they're sort of from your grandmother's time. There's a line, it's not just for what you are yourself, that I love you as I do, but for what I am when I am with you. Um, So it's a beautiful line. It's a profound line, actually. Something that, that has come up for me, I, I have a beautiful, beautiful life. I mean, there's like, there's stuff that happens, right? <laughs> but um, I, I love my life. And yet, sometimes I feel like that one person on a plane that crashes, and you feel kind of guilty, that why did you survive? And sometimes I look around and I think, I can't get involved in the debates and the tensions and the the tiny little, like having a little Australian cattle dog nipping at your heels all the time, these fractious little bits and pieces. I can't get involved in that. I don't want to miss a moment of everything that's here. I don't know if other people ever feel that way, but I relate to the person who survives a plane crash that this is such a great time to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. Could you help me a little with that, Catherine? Well, I don't see any problem. 
Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Done, done, and done. It reminds me um, in a different way about the plane crash. You're talking about being the survivor. One of my uh, one of my friends who has a similar attitude to you of just this celebratory sense of life. And she once told me that if ever she was going down in a in a plane crash, she'd be thinking, "Wahoo!" Like that level. I mean, I have a hard time relating just because of the way I'm built. I'm doubt I would be saying that, but I mean, I guess I would perhaps just try to go into surrender as best I could. But her thing is much more enthusiastic about every every moment. And what you're describing is so lucky an experience and a perspective. So, you know, that was a gift to all of us. I would I wouldn't tweak it a tiny dot. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes to a whole understanding about the richness of contentment. If you feel contentment in your life and gratitude for your life, you can't get richer than that. And there are plenty of people who have everything, every earthly thing anyone could want, multiples of them, and have not contentment. And they're impoverished. They're beasts of burden, as my teacher used to call them, just having to go out and get more experience and more objects and more experience and more objects, hungry ghosts who can never get fed. So the complete opposite is to have the experience that you have just spoken. I am having a beautiful life. And, and your only uh, hesitation in it is a concern for others that they're not having as beautiful a life, perhaps, in many cases, not. We could say that, yes, in many cases, not just people who have everything and who are malcontent, but people who actually are having really hard lives, really hard lives, unequivocally hard, who are starving or being beaten or tortured or in prisons and all kinds of terrible things that go on in this world. It is a lot for how to have one of them say, this is a beautiful life. But for those of us who are having pretty regular lives, then the wealth of that life is found in your own recognition of appreciation and of contentment. Hello, Kath. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. <laughs> Hello, both of you. Beautiful. You're, you're, is this the, um, is, no, because. This, this, this is our fella that has a heart issue that ah. uh, we, we, we thought we almost were going to lose and we didn't. So he's uh, quite affectionate as all of them are. And oh. they're really our, 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 our kin more than, I've told my kids if I knew how great great Danes were I might not have had any kids in my life. <laughs> I, I, I hope they know I'm jesting um, I, I, I want to share something that, that's probably um, a challenge to how you started all of this I, I clearly we all are, are profoundly enriched by the amazing aspects of all of our lives but it's undeniable that we're at a time where there is such a um, massive concern. In my lifetime, I, I don't think 
I ever remember a time where there was such universal grief, turmoil, fear, uh, anxiety. And while having that sense of appreciation for all of this um, is valid. As you and I spoke the other day, we talked about how we suffer when others suffer. And, and it's undeniable that while even the ones that are suffering have loved ones and you know the things that they can be grateful for, I, I think it's a somber moment. And, and yeah. I, I think to be somber while grateful is, is being genuine. And I know that in my life, one of my parents, when they passed away and everybody wants to immediately cheer you up and get on with life kind of a thing. I remember wanting to really savor that experience yes. because it, it was a real experience. It was, it was, it was sadness. It was grief. Sure. And, and I have a great deal of concern at this time for all of those who entered this past few years uh, with mental health issues those that are depressed, those that are anxious, those that have abandonment concerns and whatever else, these past few years have certainly inflamed all of that. And that's that's there. So, I mean, I, I think it's like salt and pepper right now. You know, the love and joy of all that's in life is rich and empowering, but at the same time, there's, if you, you know, there's some other spicy things that you, you have to acknowledge. Yeah, we spoke a lot last night about coexisting awareness. It's one of my favorite themes, which basically is holding the full spectrum or as much as the spectrum as one can hold and metabolize. And that includes the suffering and it includes the concern and the worry and the tension and the stress. But it's very, very important and why I'm emphasizing this today to uh, modulate and to regulate your system because otherwise you're just going to be another body on the pile that somebody's going to have to take care of or, or not. You'll just be a body on the pile. So one of the intentions for this gathering is to come back to center, come back to ground, come back to the sweet spots, the peace, and knowing your ability to move your attention around so you're never, you're not going to just be in some kind of Pollyanna bluebird of happiness mind. If you're awake in this world, if you're paying attention, you're going to be a little sad at least, and maybe more than that. The question will be then, why deny your happiness? Don't do that either. So you've got to find the balance. And that is really specifically what these sessions are for, is to remind everyone of what and who you love and how you can go through the day and reset the nervous system as it gets tense because we do live in troubled times. There's no doubt about it. Uh, even pre-COVID, we were already, we already had plenty of problems, you know, and that's all going on in the background. We hardly even hear about it anymore, but we are still feeling it. I spoke also last night about the low-level anxiety that's running through the whole world. And then when you add on another big stressor, it's, I mean, a lot of people, as you're pointing out, just can't take it, right? There, there's, because there's already a base of anxiety. And then you, you, you pile on 
with people losing their jobs, losing their homes, losing their minds, losing their friends, you know, just on and on. It's incredibly tense, stressful time and very divisive. Why we have these sessions is to tune to a different frequency, a frequency that is underneath the storm, actually. It doesn't deny the storm, but it's kind of the center of the storm that's a still point. And yeah, that's its purpose. And I, as a longtime Buddhist in the old days, not anymore, I'm not a practicing Buddhist, but I, I did fall in love with the first noble truth when I first heard it. And when I was very young, probably 19, I thought, wow, that, that nails it, which is the truth of suffering, the truth of unsatisfactoriness in this world. I understood that one very clearly. Uh, it gets ever more clear. But uh, along the way, I've learned that despite that powerful truth, life is beautiful. And I dare say most of us on this call, you know, have just an extraordinary riches of life. I see that you've got a few right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm no stranger to the dark side, um, but I do have to have a strong intention to keep the brightness of being. It's not just something that comes naturally, like my girlfriend who would go wahoo going down on the plane. <laughs> I have a different nature, <laughs> but I do work with my nature. I'm not complaining about it. I do work with it and say, okay. Are you just going to fall in this pit of despair? Because yes, I can go down a long list of what's wrong. I can also, as we just discovered in this little tiny exercise we did, I can go down a long list of what's so fantastic. Do you have any guidance for rebalancing? Mm -hmm. force yourself if you need to many times in the day it doesn't have to be some big project it has to just be tiny little moments little tiny moments of delight or of calm or of something that quiets your mind it doesn't have to stop the mind but just resets its focus and that that might even be watching something watching an old movie set in a lovely time you know if if need be just something that resets the attention because basically one of the problems with increasing tension increasing mental tension that's rolling on a train of thought that's troubling is that it's producing neurochemistry that keeps making it do the same thing. It, it's, it's a downward spiral. It's, it's basically what happens in depression that, you know, that the, the depressive chemicals have taken over and it's very hard for people to lift out of them. So I always say interrupt it as soon as you notice it and try to avert the habit of going toward things that you know are going to be constantly upsetting 
even though you 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 know you keep one eye on the storm out there but rather than just fixating it and just staring at the storm right you kind of go about your day wash the dishes or whatever else and like i said last night i went through a whole list of suggestions you know put on your favorite music maybe something you haven't heard in a long time something that you know is either calming or is going to make you feel like dancing or whatever like that be in nature almost always helps or just look from the window at nature watch your dogs they're they're fabulous teachers uh and last night i also suggested in the case of dealing with death i suggested something that a, a zen master that i knew a long time ago on maui suggested it was his idea to go and look at the night sky just stand under the stars and look at the night sky and reflect on as i said last night you're a dot in time and space you're just a dot and that's maybe even exaggerated um so you're there you are in the vastness you might be seeing the light from a star that isn't even there anymore right that you're just seeing the light that's traveling and it just reminds you and you're you're perhaps put in mind of the billions and billions of creatures who have come and gone but also are coming and going now that it just widens the lens and it kind of reminds you to i mean i guess we're all allowed some grumbling about the fact that things that we love come to an end that's very hard i don't deny it's been hard for me but in a way it, it also is quieting it's a little quieting of the grumble the grumble doesn't have a hysteria to it it's sort of just a little bit of whining <laughs> right <laughs> that that that's really helpful i my only option has been listening to your podcasts so now I can add your podcast to the stars and I can add it to my to my potpourri of of ways of getting balance. So thank you. Oh, well thank you. Thank you very much. I'm getting embarrassed now but um <laughs> but I think I think your style and your approach is is so unique and refreshingly different that I think it's easier to resonate with and connect with and assimilate because i mean I, I, i'm sure like everybody else we've followed everything we've done all of it and believe in it and all the stuff and i think they're all great but you need you need something more straightforward and i think your approach is a lot more straightforward the the how did you call it the end of seeking you know mm -hmm. so, so that, that that of all the stuff i've listened to that's the one that really resonated <laughs> because i think that's in a critical part of finding the time to appreciate and to and to yes. gratitude and all that kind of stuff so thanks yes. for doing it. just to live it yeah i i am i'm reminded to say that i was lucky in my early seeking years to stumble into a, a gang of friends who were known also as our teachers but they always presented themselves as spiritual friends they were not functioning as gurus or they weren't it was really that they were just sharing their own process of what they had experimented with in meditation and in deep philosophical considerations and that was a great conditioning for me to see 
because when I then later, after knowing the Buddhist gang, and sometimes I would be around other types of teachers who were really puffed up as sort of gurus or sort of swanning around and with devotees slathering at their feet. And it was repellent to me. I couldn't believe my eyes, you know, and especially because also along the way, I had become a journalist specializing in consciousness and activism. And I had sought, I had sought and published a hundred interviews with the most incredible people, all of whom were so humble, Gandhian types. My first book was called In the Footsteps of Gandhi, in which I chose 12 of my many, many interviews. You know, the really great teachers are so regular. They're not some sort of holy roller. They're very, very regular, humble. They're willing to speak about their own foibles and their own missteps. And it's, to me, it's a sign of of a true teacher. As my teacher Punjati used to say, a true teacher only gives you his or her experience. All the rest are preachers. So nice to meet you in person. I'm 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 shocked at how young you are because you've had such an amazing life and history and went through the Iranian Revolution and all, all of it. Like it's like wow. I'm I thought you were going to be my age. <laughs> I'm actually 23. I just look this old. I see. I see. Yes. <laughs> Very wise for 23. <laughs> Catherine, right now we're in Massachusetts, but we live in Maine, and we met with two uh, elder friends, and I uh, had a phone call with you, and I just want to join in the gratitude that uh, others are expressing, and maybe give a little bit of background to that gratitude. It was your essay, of course, uh, Facing Extinction, that caused uh, my elder friends and I to have our conversation with you. And we weren't sure what we were expecting, but what we came away with was, interestingly, a sense of your joy and your centeredness uh, more than anything else about the substance of the issues. Uh, For me, I suffered some pretty early losses in my life from the early death of my parents. And your essay, Facing Extinction, caused me tremendous despair because I wasn't able to figure out the relationship between my own experiences, early experiences with extinction and uh, what we are facing today, which is uh, the possibility of a, of, a, of a much larger form of, of extinction. But in spite of all of that, uh, in the conversation we had, uh, what came through was your presence. Uh, what came through was your joy. What came through was your balance and your centeredness. And I'm trying to learn from that. I still uh, struggle with the, these, uh, this difficulty between the, uh, the macro extinction and some of the micro extinction and my own uh, despair over that. But I think your points are your suggestions about really in the course of a day, taking advantage of the experience that I have with my dog to go to the ocean and to see the beauty of the sunrise and to see the gentleness and the peace in that spirit of the ocean. Not, and of course the ocean is not always uh, so peaceful, but um, I'm, I'm learning and I just want to join others in expressing the gratitude for that.
So thank you. Mm, well, thank you for, for those words. Yeah, I sometimes, well, I've had the privilege actually a few times of being with people in the last phase of their life, a kind of hospice equivalence in, in that, you know, they were basically at home, but they didn't necessarily have hospice care at the moment, but they were nearing the end while at home. And I've, I've been very struck in several of those cases how free and joyful, even while in pain, depending on the severity of the pain, but even while experiencing pain, that there was, there was a light that was almost new in them, whereby the days had really become precious. And that, that's a great teaching. That's a great, a great experience to have. Um, that's informed me a lot. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the oldest members of our group loves the story of John Lewis, the civil rights leader in the United States who was uh, beaten severely at the Pettus Bridge in the mid-60s, attempting to express the need for freedom for African-Americans. And uh, John Lewis talked about the love that yeah. was at that bridge. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, what he said was he didn't, he didn't need so much to express the love as much as just to join the love mm. that was there. Oh. And that was, a, that's a very, it seemed to me to be an extremely profound aspect of love, to mm. see the love and to understand that, that the possibility of joining the love. Yes, that's a great, great frame of that, yeah. Join the love, yeah. It's a great motto, actually. What I was thinking about in terms of question was, and I probably won't do too good a job with it, but I'm sort of really good on one point of being, if I get into it, I totally let go. I'm totally happy. I'm playing music. I'm doing all that stuff and enjoying life. I can do that. And then the other side apparently is like, I'm just so overwhelmed and it's like, everything is so bad. And I'm trying to figure out the middle ground and mm -hmm. I know how to turn on with a little, or I can't make it happen, but the frivolous part of me and the fun part of me and the joyous part of me, you know, if I can just think about, for example, it's coming to me now, lying after sauna in New Zealand out there, naked out there with my, the steam coming off my body. And, you know, we're there and we're just having such a wonderful time. <laughs> I miss that. But, you know, I can just get into that. But then I can, the other side is just so harsh and I can't seem to put them together. So I don't know if you can say something about trying to find the middle ground. Yeah, I mean, that that is exactly what I'm recommending. It doesn't have to be the middle ground that you have to stick, stay on the middle ground. It can be sometimes you do fall into despair and sometimes you do fall into frivolity. Right. It, it, you're allowed to swing around on the spectrum. The key is if you get stuck on one end of the spectrum, then you have to reset yeah. to the middle. 
<laughs> or sometimes you have to swing all the way over to the other side, you know, to frivolity, just to kind of break the spell. You know, generally speaking, you can be cruising along, managing your attention delicately and, and not, too, not too strictly all through the day. That's why I keep emphasizing, put little tiny joys in and then some bit of news mm -hmm. comes in that's very sad and terrible and troubling and like you said, bad. And okay, you let that wash through, you feel the emotion of that, you recognize it, you give it its due. And then often you examine, is there anything I can do about this right now? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> right. Mm. <laughs> That's another little mm. trick is if you simply ask the question, you're afraid about something or you hear something terrible or you, it portends badly about the future. You say, is there anything I can do about this right now? Uh, no. OK, um, I then will go back to here this moment, my life, present awareness, something, find some moment of gratitude or just just simple presence or you know, brush your teeth or go outside and, you know, just look at the sky. Um, no, and, I, th I think that's good. Yeah. It's, it's, I was going to reflect that, that that is very helpful that <laughs> some of this stuff seems so funny because it seems so simple when you say it. And we <laughs> it forget. So simple. I know. Like we I forget. Heard, we do. I mean, I of course I know what you just said you know to ask yourself really what can i do about this but i don't remember that right now i gotta get back to that then mm -hmm. that's great thank you <laughs> i heard a teacher once say that again to this point of how simple this is something like pointing to your feet and saying there's your feet <laughs> right <laughs> It's like that, you know, it's sort of like, oh, yes, okay, yes, of course. In the moment, do I have to say about this right now since I can't do anything about it? It's making me upset. Um, well, no, I don't have to think about that right now. And there may be, especially, there may be in a general background way, something is rolling along, some information is rolling along, and it may be growing something in you that mm -hmm. is going to respond for instance let's take your own example you as a gay man you would have had the issue of aids in your background awareness for a very very long time as we all mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. uh, as i certainly have i've lost mm -hmm. a lot of friends to aids and my brother and my cousin so in your case that background awareness and that background sorrow eventually led to something that was a positive action that you could take and that you have taken in that your scuba diving thing that's connected to the AIDS work. So that's what I'm saying is that sometimes something is growing in the background, some issue, some passion that is a particular situation that you would like to be helpful with and it it kind of just grows along in in your being but many times mm. we're fretting about things that are completely out of our control that just you know right that's already happened that's right already happened. yeah one of my uh one of my friends started a she and another co-founder started a group 
an anti-war group called Code Pink. And they've been very, very successful in many ways. They've really raised a lot of awareness. But in the lead up to the invasion of Iraq, they were very, very active and trying to prevent the U.S. involvement. Of course, that didn't work. But, but there came a point when the U.S. went ahead and invaded and, and lots of people in Code Pink were in abject despair. And they said to the founder, we, we couldn't stop this war. We couldn't stop it. And the founder said to them, we'll try to stop the next one. And it's like all this goodwill, she just immediately redirected it, which is what a great leader does, you know, is they redirect the energy out of despair and into either a larger perspective or some kind of action. Mm -hmm. It's funny, as you've been talking, I've been thinking COVID has put a bit of a damper in our co-housing community because we really just formed and then COVID hit. And so, you know, there's nothing in the common house. It's essentially locked up for communal activities. And what I was thinking about was that's community here in Gainesville, Florida, where I will, where I am, is that's real. That's what I can work with. It's kind of the idea of making a difference where you can, you know, yeah. instead of fretting about the things that are, oh my God, you know, I think a lot about the movie Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't feel bad about thinking about it, but all those scenes where the man and woman lie in the bed with each other, I think about yes. that scene a yes. lot. Absolutely. I think about it a lot. And I I do kind of feel that's sort of where we're at a little bit. And okay, it's okay to play the violins because it's beautiful music. I think a lot about the actual historical story that I think must be true because so many people witnessed it who did survive of the the orchestra having first put Mm -hmm. down their instruments And then when it became clear that they weren't going to all get off, they went down playing, you know. Yeah. Imagine, I'm just getting chills at the thought, honestly. Those moments for, they would have been the world's, some of the world's best musicians because that maiden voyage of the Titanic was so uh, over the top glamorous and had the best of everything. So surely they had the best orchestra. And um to think about these high-level elite <laughs> musicians in those last moments, right? Doing yeah. what they had been yeah. so trained to do, what they had so deeply loved, and that those would be the last moments of their lives and they would know that. Yeah, these are the kinds of reflections that definitely reset the story and do bring you into balance, into that middle ground that you're talking about. That middle ground, yeah. Yes. Just keep widening the lens. You know, I said last night on the call, I said last night, uh, you know, I was talking about some of the phrases that I use for myself throughout the day or as needed. And um, one of them more and more frequently is is be ready to die. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful thing to say. 
And suddenly you're infused with a whole lot of courage when you say it, <laughs> like, a, like an old Indian warrior getting up and saying, this is a good day to die. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events, such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time. Thank you.